You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Now we're in kind of a transition, I guess, if you can say. Uh, next Sunday is our Vision Sunday, and you will not want to miss out on that. We're revealing our new 2019 theme next Sunday. So you'll want to be here next Sunday morning, and we're taking off a brand new teaching series uh, that'll last about six weeks from that particular passage. Uh, you won't want to miss out on that. Uh, but until then, we uh, uh, have today, and we're going to talk about the importance of the local church. And so grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2 this morning, if you would. Uh, so next week, put it on your calendar, plan on being here, uh, both the morning and the evening will be special services that you will not want to miss as we reveal the new theme uh, and preach from that passage starting next Sunday. So today, Acts chapter 2, <laughs> just to give you a little bit of uh, history about the Bible, the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament was before Jesus came and the New Testament would be after Jesus came. The first four books of the New Testament is what we call the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus Christ. The word gospel literally means good news. And so it's the good news of who Jesus is, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. The book of Acts uh, takes place with Jesus' ascension. Right before Jesus goes back to heaven, uh, he leaves some final instructions for uh, those followers that he had, his disciples. And he tells them, I want you to go into all the world and tell them about me and what I've done. And I want you to go and take this message that I've given you and use it to change the world. That's why you and I are here this morning because what took place in the book of Acts. Uh, they took Jesus' word literally. They took his word to the end of the earth and told everyone that they could about what he had done. And we find here uh, the apostles had gathered together in Jerusalem and waited for the feast of the Pentecost. And when the, the day of Pentecost came, uh, Peter stood and preached Acts chapter 2. We find a long message he said, basically saying, hey, Jesus died for your sins and you killed him. It's your fault. And if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, he will save you from your sins. It's the same message that we teach every single week here at Hui Kala Baptist Church. The message has not changed in 2,000 years. It's exactly the same as it was in the Bible. And something amazing happened when Peter preached. Now, these are the people who were responsible for Jesus' death. These were people who were hardcore Jews. Uh, these were people who were uh, from different religious backgrounds who had come to Jerusalem for this large feast that was taking place. And something miraculous happened in Acts chapter 2 when Peter preached this message. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number uh, 40. Let's start in verse number 41. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. <clears throat> then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now pause for just a second here. Peter preaches this message to people, and, and all types of other fascinating things happen to you. Again, you can read it for yourself in the book of Acts chapter number 2. Peter preached uh, in the, uh, the Greek language, and people heard it in their own tongue. Uh, he preached and people heard it in their own language. So Peter would preach and if your, your language was Korean, you would have heard it in Korean that day. If your language is Japanese, you would have heard it in Japanese that day. You and I would have, most of us would have heard it in English that day. He spoke in one language and everyone heard in their own language because this was a supernatural event. And after he had finished preaching, 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Then they were baptized and then they were added to the church. You want to talk about explosive church growth. 3,000 people got saved, baptized, and added to the church in one day. 
Now, I know that sounds like a phenomenal thing, but as a pastor, I think of the logistics of that. Uh, first of all, how did they baptize that many people, right? 3,000 people. I've never drowned anybody yet, but I think if I was getting up into the thousands of people baptized, I'd probably come pretty close, right? The second thing I think of is if this were standing water that they're being baptized in, can you imagine being baptized like a number 2,500 of people being baptized, how dirty and nasty the water would be? Um, I think of things like that. And then I think like, where do you put 3,000 people that gather together? to worship Jesus every time they get together. Uh, these are logistical things that we don't really have to worry about, but it's what took place in the Bible. 3,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church in one day. But it didn't stop there. Verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. I mean, wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and they sold their possessions and good goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." My daughter, Michaela, and I uh, were uh, in uh, Mililani this past week, and we were walking across the Walmart parking lot, uh, and there was parked in the, the Walmart parking lot, it was probably a 70 or 71 Dodge Challenger RT. And I look on the hood, it's got this big, huge, massive hood scoop on the front, and it says 446 pack on the side. And, I, and if you don't know what that means, you should Google it when you get home because it's awesome, right? It was, this is a gorgeous car, it was purple, uh, and some older guy came and got in, and I, and I stopped and stared. And he like looks over at me like, is everything okay? And I just gave him a shock. I just sat there and stared. And I told my daughter, Michele, that right there is an awesome car. And she was just like, okay. And so we're walking along. And so, mind you, we had two boys first. And car talk with boys is a lot easier than it is with girls for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, uh, boys, we can talk about, you know, the fastest car and the, the, the best car you've ever seen. And so, Michele, I didn't, she didn't fully grasp how awesome this vehicle was that we'd seen in the parking lot there. And we kept walking. But then she says to me, Dad, what's the most awesome car you've ever seen before? And I thought, ooh, car talk. This is the first time ever. She's 10 years old. This is the first time we get to talk about cars. And I said, well, when I was a kid, I always wanted a Lamborghini. And I said, it was like my dream car. One of these days, I own a Lamborghini. Every time I see one pass by the church, I think one of you has bought it for me and it's coming to drop it off. Um, <laughs> Hasn't happened yet, uh, but I'm waiting. Uh, but I thought, oh, man, I said, I want a, a Lamborghini. I said, but I said, I like older cars and muscle cars and stuff like that. And I said, so uh, like an old Chevelle or maybe an uh, older Mustang or something like that. We began to talk about uh, cars and why they're so cool. And she said, Dad, you know what the coolest car I've ever seen was? I go, what, sweetheart? She goes, a Jeep. That's like the coolest car you've ever seen before? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> and all the Jeep owners here, they're like, yeah, that's right. What's up, right? But I was like, well, well, it had four doors and it had these really big tires on it, Dad. It was the coolest car I've ever seen in my life. And I thought to myself, a Jeep? Well, well what do you think about this? Well, that, that car's kind of cool, Dad, but it, I mean, it's, it looks kind of old. It's like, sweetheart, you don't get it. And it's, it struck me that the things that are important to me aren't necessarily important to a 10-year-old girl, and I guess that's an okay thing, right? Uh, I was uh, coming into to the uh, uh, church building yesterday. I was walking along the sidewalk, and some guy stopped uh, and was staring up at our sign with his arms crossed like this, looking at the sign. 
I said, hey, how's it going today? He said, good. I said, uh, I said I'm Anthony. He said, hey, I'm Greg. I said, Greg, uh, do you live here in town? He said, I'm visiting on holiday from New Zealand. He had a really cool New Zealand accent. And he said, tell me about your church. And I said, well, we're a fairly new church. I said, we just celebrated our five-year anniversary here in, in Honolulu. I said, uh, we came for the purpose of reaching this city uh, for Jesus. I said, do you have a church you go to in New Zealand? He said, yeah. He said, I'm actually a pastor of a church. I said, awesome. And so he said, now tell me, what's the purpose of your church? I kind of scratched my head. I go, I, I, I don't follow you. He, what, what is your church all about? And I said, well, we're all about Jesus. We're all about the Bible. We're all about the gospel. We're all about seeing people get saved and baptized and discipled and going forward. And he goes, oh, okay. And I thought to myself, what else can church be about? Like, is there another option? Is there another right answer? And he seemed a little bit perplexed by my answer. And I thought to myself, I said, well, what is your church about? And he goes, well, you know, just, just uh, trying to do good to people in the community. I said, man, that's great. But then I realized that the things that are necessarily important to me aren't necessarily important to other people as well. Now, before you go there and say, well, it doesn't really matter what's important to you because I would agree with you there. It doesn't matter what's important to me. The question is, what's important to Jesus? What's important to God? What's important according to the Bible? If we as a church will be the type of church that pleases God, if we will be the type of church that God blesses, what are the things that are important to him? Here's some things that are a big deal here at Who We Call It. Number one, people. Jesus Christ came to, and died for sinners. Jesus came because he loved people. And if you study the, the, the life of Jesus Christ, you were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see he was always around people. Even when he tried to get a little time away by himself and, and get over to, to the side and, and pray by himself, people followed him there and he just talked to them and met their needs. And people were a big deal to Jesus. So here at Who We Call It, people are a big deal to us as well. If you're a first-time guest here today, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we're delighted that you would worship with us today. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, I would highly encourage you uh, to be a part of our church family. I believe that we are the best church, not only on the island, but in, in the entire world. I believe, I would go so far as to say that our church is the best church since the book of Acts. That wasn't funny. It's like a good place to say, amen, that's good, preacher, come on. Uh, I don't say that because, because of me or because of the programs that we have at our church. I say because it's some of the best people I've ever been around in my entire life. And, and let me tell you this, if there was a better church to put my family in, I would be there. Let me just tell you that. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God's doing here in his church is something special. And so I'd encourage you, if you're looking for a church family to jump into, this is a great church to, to jump into. Uh, I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago, uh, and he said, the first Sunday that I came here, he said, you said that this was the best church on the island. He goes, I like that. I go, why? He said, because we went to several other churches before we came here, and they always said, well, there's some good churches that are out there. You can just shop around. I said, well, I believe we're the best. And he goes, I like that. That's a good thing. Because we love people. People are important to, to Jesus and people are important to us. Next, the Bible is the big deal here. Every single time you come, we're gonna open the Bible and tell you what it says. Every single week, we're gonna encourage you to study the Bible yourself and apply it to your life. Every single week of the world because this book is our guidebook for life. We don't have this book plus our tradition or this book plus the things that we like to do this book plus our preferences. We just have this book and this book guides us. This is our instruction manual for life. Other things that are a big deal here to who we call the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. It's the only story of the Bible. The Bible has a lot of interesting stories and, uh, and 
uh, I grew up in Sunday school and in church as a kid, and we heard stories about Noah and the ark, and uh, Joseph and his coat of many colors, and Moses and Abraham, and things like that. But really, the overarching story of the Bible is the gospel. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover and what Jesus has done for us and what that change means for us. And so the gospel's a big deal here. Another thing that's a really big deal here is the local church. People make up the local church. That's the important part about it. God has purchased a people for himself with the blood of his own son that are to gather together on a regular basis for the purpose of community, for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of accountability. And we're not just to gather once a week and call it good and check that off of our list. We're to gather together at least once a week, if not more, for the purpose of getting what we need to go out and get or done. We've got a job to do. We've got a community to impact. We've got an island to make a difference on. And our job is to come here, get the tools and training that we need to go out and get the work done together. And we gather back here to be encouraged and be accountable and help each other along the way. When we speak of the church, we're not speaking of an organization or a building, but we're speaking of a people. It's not, a, sometimes people say, well, I'll meet you at church. Church is a group of people. You, a church building is a place where we might put an address. If this building were to burn to the ground this week, we would still have church next week somewhere. We'd have to find out where it's gonna be and we'd have to make the best of it because the church is not limited by a physical location. The church is not this building that we're seated in because if all of us pick up and leave, this is just a building. The church is the people that are sitting to the left and the right of you today. The church are the people that are sitting a couple rows in front of you. This is the church and the church is a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to Jesus. Therefore, it must be a big deal to you and I. The word church as used in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and the word that was used here was ekklesia. And that word ekklesia, that it was translated in English as the word church, means a called out group of people, a called out assembly. They're people who used to be a mishmash of what the world has, to go, has going on, and they were pulled out or called out to be set apart to be unique. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church isn't supposed to be like every other organization in the world. The church is not just another nonprofit. The church is not just a place where we get together and meet for a little bit on Sunday mornings. The church is a group of people that Jesus himself ordained to change the world. That's a big deal. And you and I get to be a part of it. You see, when we take a look at the local church, it's important to understand, first of all, that the church is God's idea. It wasn't my idea that we should get together every Sunday and worship God and sing songs. It wasn't my idea that we should pray together as a church family. It wasn't my idea that we should get together and talk about the Bible. It's God's idea. And from uh, the beginning of the New Testament, we see the beginning of the laying of the, frown, the groundwork and the foundation of the church. You see, the church began when Jesus called his apostles. <coughs> Jesus was walking along the shoreline. He saw uh, some men out in a boat. And he says, hey, guys, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they dropped their net and straightway followed after him. That was the beginning of the church. Jesus took fishermen, and he called them out to follow them, and they left what they had to follow Jesus. That was the beginning of the church. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. Now, therefore, 
are, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So the church started with Jesus and it, he began to build his church and began to lay the foundation of his church when he called his first apostles. Secondly, we see that the church was empowered on the day of Pentecost when Peter here in Acts chapter two began to preach the word. He preached the gospel, the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. People were saved, they were baptized, and they were added to the church. The Holy Spirit came upon the church at that point, and the church then was empowered and had what it needed to begin to be what we have today. So we can say that the church started when Jesus called his apostles. It was empowered on the day of Pentecost. This was all God's idea. Next, we see that the church belongs to Jesus. I like it when people take ownership of our church. They'll talk to it and say, hey, I invited some friends to our church. I like that because it shows that they're invested. Uh, there's a, a couple that are good friends of ours now. The very first time we went out to dinner with them, they visited our church twice, uh, and my wife and I had gone to dinner with them, and I said, hey, why don't you pray for us? And he says, okay, sounds great. And he bowed his head, and he said, Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for our pastor. And I, like, looked at my wife like, I've known these guys for all of two weeks, and he's calling me his pastor and saying this is our church. I don't know who this guy is, but I love him already, Right? You know what that is? That's ownership. This is my place. This is not just a place that I attend. This is my church. And I think it's important that every single person that calls who we call their home has some level of ownership in Jesus' church. This is my church. This is where I go. These are my people. This is my tribe. This is my crew. But let us never forget that the church does not belong to us. The church belongs to Jesus. I don't get to determine what our church does and does not. That's up to Jesus. I don't get to change the mission of our church. That belongs to Jesus. I don't get to determine even what's really important to our church. That job is by Jesus because the church belongs to him. While we, our church uh, pays rent on a building, our church, the, all the money that is in our church account doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Jesus because it's his. This building that you're seated in here today belongs to our landlord, but this building belongs to Jesus because he gave it to us because we are his church. The chairs that you're seated in today are Jesus's chairs. <laughs> my daughter the other day asked my wife, Mom, why do you always get our van washed? It's like you really, really like it. And my wife says, I think it's important to take care of the things that God's given us. And I thought, ooh, that's a good answer, Mama. I like that. Hey, our van doesn't belong to us. It belongs to Jesus. You and I own nothing. And when, especially when it comes to the church, none of this is ours. It's all Jesus's. The Bible tells us uh, in the book of Acts, uh, chapter number 20, verse number 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the blood of Jesus has purchased the church. You and I are here today because Jesus has bought us. But you see, the church is made up of saved, baptized individuals that are followers of Jesus. You see, you and I, we're not automatically part of the church. You don't get to just because you attend here automatically be part of the church. Now, I wanna be very clear here. If you're not saved and you've never been baptized, that's okay, I'm so thankful that you're here today. 
But being a part of the church that Jesus started requires there's certain membership requirements, and it's that you are saved and that you're baptized because we were born not into the family of God, but we were born as enemies of God. The Bible says that we're not children of God automatically. We're children of wrath and disobedience automatically. We're not automatically part of the body of Christ. We're automatically enemies of Christ. The Bible says that when you and I were born, we were born into a sin nature. That deep down in our hearts is sin. Oftentimes our society will say things like, well, you know, you just have to dig a little bit deeper and eventually uh, the deeper that you go, you'll find good in everyone. Uh, that the deeper you go inside someone's heart, every single person is good deep down inside. The Bible says that's a lie. The Bible says the deeper that you get into your heart, the more decay there is. The deeper that you pull back the recesses of your heart, the more pus that oozes out of your sin-infected heart. That we're not good at the core, we're rotten at the core, the Bible says. And we don't need to just change out and polish up the outside. We need a whole heart heart transplant. We need to be different. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I'm not talking about this room has a couple of people in it that might have sinned. I'm talking about every single seat in this auditorium is filled with someone who has sinned against God, not once or twice, but again and again and again and again. And because of our sin, the Bible says that we, are have, we have punishment or judgment coming from God himself. The Bible says that if you and I die with our sin, that barring any outside intervention, you and I will die and spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's the worst news anybody could ever get. But you know what? I deserve to go to hell because of my sin. I've sinned against God not once or twice, but more times than I could ever hope to count. And I deserve God's punishment. But God loves me and God loves you so much that he does not want you to endure this punishment. He wants to make a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. And his name is Jesus. Jesus came, he died on the cross to pay for my sin and pay for yours so that you don't have to go to hell, so that you don't have to be separated from God for all of eternity, so that you can be forgiven. But you've gotta make that choice for yourself. There must be a time in your life where you have been saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Has there been a time in your life where you have put your faith in Christ as your savior? I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has forgiven my sins and saved me. The Bible calls that repentance, to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as our only Savior. Religion cannot save you. Baptism cannot save you. Communion cannot save you. Church membership, church attendance can't save you. Being a really good person cannot save. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only what Jesus has done for me on the cross will pay for my sins. But you see, faith in Jesus doesn't just pay for my sins. It adopts me into a new family. I was once an enemy of God. Now I'm adopted into his family. I was once at war with God. Now I'm seated at his table as a son. The Bible says, to, to them who believed on the name of Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. That you and I can be adopted into the family of God by our faith in Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, please don't leave here today until you get that squared away. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make and a great way to start off your new year. Let me just tell you this. If you 
are here today and you are not saved. There's never been a time in your life where you've been born again. There's a death sentence on your head and when you die, you will be separated from God forever in a real place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity and there's no getting out, there's no second chances. I'm not saying that to scare anybody, I just wanna shoot you straight this morning. And if you're here today without Jesus Christ as your savior and you're gonna try to set some goals for the new year and try to be faithful in your church attendance and read the Bible and pray, just know none of that will erase your sin debt. You still owe God, you're still on the hook, and when you die, you'll still be separated from him. The only hope that you have is faith in Jesus. But here's the good news. Once you're adopted into the family of God, now you can be a full part of the body of Christ. You can be a part of a group of people that you weren't a part of before. You can have a new identity in Jesus. And that's the hope you find in Christ. The church is the body of Christ you see, Jesus, when Acts, in Acts chapter number one, when he ascended into heaven, he took his earthly body with him. And so while Jesus has no physical body on this earth any longer, he did leave us his Holy Spirit that resides in every one of his children. So if you're a child of God, that you've been saved and born again, inside of you resides the Holy Spirit of God. John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks about how he'll give us the Holy Spirit when he leaves. He left, and he left us the Comforter or the Holy Spirit for us. And we now get to be the body of Christ. While Jesus has no physical body any longer, he does have you and I, which are his hands and his feet. Jesus can't walk down our street and get anything done this week, but you and I can walk down the street and get things done. Jesus won't show up for coffee at your workplace tomorrow, but you know what? You can show up in Jesus's place and be the body of Christ. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. It means to do the things that Jesus would do. That's the, the, the beauty of being a part of something that's greater than yourself. Last week, we had the opportunity on Sunday night to have one of our Be the Church projects. It's where we basically have a really, really super duper short Sunday evening service, and then we go out into our community and we get stuff done. Uh, we have some uh, photos that I think that we want to show you with, of what we did last week of our uh, Be the Church night. Uh, this, this has been just, oh man, it grinds my gears. Uh, there's basically been a pile of rubbish that continues to grow every single week right down here, uh, right, not a half block up the street from us uh, over on uh, Waimanu Street here. Uh, and it get, kept getting worse and worse and worse. And there, were there was a shopping cart and then there was two shopping carts and there were six shopping carts and there was uh, mattresses and, and beds and uh, office chairs and it just be, continued to grow and more cardboard that you could shake a stick at. And so we decided, you know what, we're gonna get something done with that. And so we uh, got that done. Uh, Next slide here. Uh, what else we got here? We got, had some uh, graffiti that we had going on. Uh, somebody we painted last weekend. Somebody's already tagged uh, on the front side. We'll get that this week too. Uh, next, we got some more uh, graffiti, I think. Next. Uh, tons of weeds. These, these weeds, you would lose a small child in these. These weeds were absolutely terrible. Uh, and uh, so we thought, man, we're gonna take care of that. What else we got here? Uh, and so then we basically just got out and got it done. So uh, we had a bunch of our kids and some, uh, some of our adults were supervising it. Everybody painted. Uh, we had some folks on weed patrol. We got some photos of that too. Uh, just cycle through these photos as you go. Uh, folks pulling weeds and stuff like that, uh, getting it done. Hey, why? Because we're the body of Christ. And that's what it looked like when we were done with it. It looks uh, 10 million times better. Uh, and we, uh, we got all that stuff, four dumpster. I'm talking about like full-size dumpster, four dumpster loads of, of rubbish that we got from off the street that was over there. Now, who told us to do that? Nobody. Here's the worst part. We didn't even get permission to do that. Like, that could have been somebody's stuff, I guess. I don't know. We took it, you know, and so sorry. Um, 
We didn't ask if we could paint anything. We didn't get permission to do that. I'm sure there's probably some permit or some form that I was supposed to fill out, but we didn't do it. You know why? Because Jesus was the type of guy that if he saw something that needed done, he just got it done. And we are the body of Christ, and we're just going to go and get it done. You know what happened Monday morning? I got a phone call, and he's like, uh, hey, I just wanted to call. I saw you guys were out on my monastery. And I was like, great, here it goes. And they said, thanks for doing that. We've been calling the city for weeks on that, and they haven't done anything about it. Hey, no sweat. Maybe we'll come visit your church sometime. Great, love it. We didn't do it to get people to come to our church. We did it because it's the types of things that Jesus would do. And here's the thing. If the church can't make a difference in our community, what good are we? If we just come here for us and what we can get out of things, what good are we? You see, the church isn't always about us. It's about others. The church isn't about what we can do. It's about what we can do for others because that's what Jesus' life was about. As we go to our passage in Acts chapter 2, I hope you're uh, still there in your Bibles this morning. I want you to see, first of all, the church is a place of commitment. Verse number 41 then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people said, I believe the message of the gospel. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. I believe, and I want to follow Jesus. 3,000 people. Now, I don't know how many people that were there that day that didn't believe. I don't know how many people that were there that day that said, hey, this whole story's crazy. But there were some. But 3,000 people said, I believe. And that started what you and I are a part of today. That began the church as we know it, those 3,000 people. And so you and I also have a similar commitment to Jesus' church. Again, you can't be a part of Jesus' church unless you have been saved and you have been baptized. Then you can be a member of Jesus' church. Again, anybody's welcome to attend here. Anybody's welcome to, to help us paint and sweep curbs and things along those lines. But if you want to really get down to the nitty-gritty of the Christian life, the Christian life, I'm going to help you with something this morning. The Christian life is all about commitment. And I know in our society today, that's kind of a scary word right? When people look for gym memberships, they want a gym membership with no commitment and no money down. Why? I just want to try this out for a minute to see if I like it, and if I don't, I'm going to bail. We want to look for apartments to rent that have a one-month, month-to-month lease, right? I don't want to get locked into anything too big, but yet at the same time, I, I see the same people that are so scared of commitment will go and finance a vehicle that they cannot afford for eight years, you have vehicle owners for eight years now? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be driving the same car in eight years and still be making payments on it. That's crazy. And let me just help you with some financial advice here. If you can't afford it, save your money until you can afford it. And if you still can't afford it, let me just help you with this, you don't need it. How about that? Give some other financial advice. Spend less than you make. How about that? How about that, huh? Simple. But you see, the problem is we're not willing to commit to that. Oh, I'll spend less than I make until I find something that I really want. And then I'll borrow some money, I'll put it on a credit card, I'll do whatever I gotta do to make it happen. Why? Because we, we worry about being committed to stuff. Let me just help you with this. You will never see the fruit in your Christian life that you desire or that God desires for you if you're not fully committed to it. If church is just one of the things that you do every other weekend or when it's convenient for you, let me just tell you this, you'll never see what it's really all about. 
the folks who have made Huicala a part of their life, made Jesus' church as part of their life, have found a family and joy that they've never experienced before. Why? It comes down to commitment. It's funny, people can attend church here for three months and be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday morning for outreach, and they're more plugged in than people that have been attending church here for four or five years. Why? Commitment. And I'm telling you this, you want joy that comes from the Christian life, you'll find it in being committed. Secondly, the church is a place of discipleship. (laughs) Verse number 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. These are people who up until this point didn't know what it meant to follow Jesus. Mind you, these are the very first Christians ever found in the Bible. They don't even know what they're doing. So you know what they said? We want to learn. Teach us. They said, great. Here's how you pray. Here's how we have meals together. Here's how we talk about the Bible together. Here's what the Bible says, and here's what this means, and here's how you apply it to your life. There's a period of rapid discipleship in this early church here. Now, the word disciple means to be a committed follower of Jesus. So, Sometimes people say, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. He had more disciples than that. Disciples were just people who were committed followers. He had 12 apostles for sure. There's a distinction between apostle and disciple. Apostles were the ones who did the mighty miraculous works. They healed the sick. They performed miracles and uh, healings and things along those lines. These were the guys that walked with Jesus every single day. Disciples were those who were just committed followers of his. And sometimes they'd be committed followers for a while and then they'd, they'd quit and fall off. But the word disciple means someone who is a committed follower of Jesus. Let me help you with this. Every single person in this room should be striving to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Striving. If I told you, I'm a disciple of Bruce Lee. Disciple, I'm telling you. And you say, which one's your favorite Bruce Lee movie? Um... I don't know, that one where he fought the bad guy with the sunglasses, I forget what the name of it is. Like, You don't even know the name of it? No, but I'm a disciple. You're like, you can't even name your favorite Bruce Lee movie. How are you a disciple? Like if I told you I was a disciple of Bruce Lee, you'd expect to like pull back my closet and see like my yellow jumpsuits in there, right? You know what I'm talking about? You expect me to be talking about when Bruce Lee took on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. That'll help you. You should YouTube that, right? Man, I'm telling you. Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, right? Is anybody, is this ringing bells with anybody? Man. Why? You're obviously not disciples of Bruce Lee. And honestly, I don't care. I want you to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be able to say to you, hey, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And you go, oh, man, I've been going through James lately. It's really been helping me. And where James talks about the tongue and the words that we say and how we can't control it, but we need to try. Man, that's been helping me. Hey, Tell me about when you put your faith in Christ. Man, I'll never forget it. If I live to be 100, I'll never forget the day that I put my faith in Jesus and the change that he's brought in my life. Hey, tell me something that you wish you'd been told earlier in your Christian walk. Oh, man, here's something. That's what disciples talk like. Why? Committed followers. And let me just tell you this. I have been seeking to be a disciple of Jesus for probably the last, I would say, 15 years of my life or so, 15, 16 years, and I'm not yet where I want to be yet. I'm still working on it. Still working towards being a disciple. You know why? Because that process is called discipleship. It's the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. 
And every Christian needs discipleship without fail. Because none of us know it all. None of us are as mature as we should be. And every single one of us could grow to some degree. We have a, a discipleship course here at Who We Call It. We call it Continue. It's a 14-week program where we take people through major doctrines of the Bible. We talk about what it means to, uh, to pray, what it means to uh, be a part of the church family, what it means to understand sin and death and, and hell and heaven and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how those apply to our life. It's one of the, the most uh, comprehensive programs that I've seen in such a short period of time. But let me just tell you this. You cannot become a disciple of Jesus in 14 weeks. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes we bring people up here and give them their certificates that, hey, you've completed the program, but you're not yet a full disciple of Jesus. Discipleship is a lifetime journey, a journey which all of us must continue to grow in. And our 14-week continue course is just kind of the on-ramp to a life of discipleship. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship where you sit down with another Christian and they teach you the things of the Bible. That's God's plan for the way that we grow together in the Word. So the church is a place of discipleship. The church is also a family. This one really resonates with me because <clears throat> at uh, 18 years old, I left my home, joined the, the United States Navy, the world's finest Navy. And I never went back, ever. Like my, my parents ended up, I, the house that I got brought home from the hospital in is the home that I left for boot camp from. 18 years, I lived in the exact home all my life. But the day that I left, my parents put the house on the market, sold it, and ended up moving to Tennessee for a while. And I never went back home ever again. I've gone to visit for a week or so at a time, but let me just tell you this, that's not really home anymore. People say, oh, where's home for you? Right here. Oh, I didn't know you grew up here. I didn't, but this is home now. Why? Because I, I left Kentucky at 18 and I never went back. I've been gone for longer than I lived there at this point. Where's home? Home's exactly where God puts me. Where is family? Family is right here where God puts me. And you know what? At Christmas time this past year, uh, I wish my folks had came out to visit. Uh, I wish they had come out and, and had a meal or something like that. But honestly, I didn't sit at home and cry and be depressed because I was here out in the middle of the ocean on Christmas. You know what I did? I celebrated with family. We had a Christmas Eve service. We lit candles and I got a little bit of wax on the carpet and I forgive you for that. Um, but you know what? We just had a good time. It was awesome together to, to get together and celebrate Jesus' birth with family. And that's what it was all about. So he said, uh, are you guys ever going to go back at Christmas time to visit? To get our family of six back to Kentucky, the airfare alone is $6,000. If I'm going to send $6,000 to go somewhere with my family, it's not going to be a little redneck town in Kentucky, okay? Like, I want to go somewhere good for that, right? Good grief. Like, I spent my whole growing up years trying to get away from that place. I ain't trying to go back. What are you talking about? No. I love my family. I love my hometown. I really do. But let me just tell you this. It's not what life is all about. Life is about family, and God has given us a new family. You guys are my brothers and sisters. You guys are my family because that's what we've been given through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 26, and whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. When one is honored, the members all rejoice with it. You know what? When somebody in our family has a good day, we have a good day with them. When somebody in our family is struggling and having a crummy day, we're struggling and having a crummy day with them. You know why? Because that's what family does. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. 
Hey, you get promoted at your job, congratulations. Hey, I'll come to your promotion ceremony if you want me to. I'd love to be there. Got a family member in the hospital? Call me. I'll, I'll sit by your, your bedside and pray with you. You know why? Because that's what a family does. It's funny, sometimes people say, well, pastor, I didn't think you'd come to something like this. Hey, this is what family does. And you and I get to be a part of something that we weren't a part of before because of what God has given us, and that's important. Again, if you just put your faith in Christ as Savior and you got a one-way ticket to heaven, and that's all you're concerned about, friend, you're missing out on the best part of the Christian life. If you think that the Christian life is just uh, listening to religious music on the radio, Notice I said religious music. I, I, just let me get, hear me out for a second. I was sitting at the red light the other day, and I'm listening to this garbage that's on the radio, and I look, and I think, who's changed the radio station? I looked, it's Christian radio. And I turn it up, and the, 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 uh, the lyrics are vaguely spiritual, I guess you could say. And I turned off the radio, and I looked at my wife, and I said, is it a bad thing that I hate like 90% of so-called Christian music? This is just terrible. And so I say that to say this, not all Christian music, and I'll use that in air quotes, is necessarily Christian music. Be discerning with the entertainment that you allow into your brain and into your family's brains. Be discerning with that. There's a couple of songs that really grind my gears talking about, I'm gonna go down to the water and be washed by the water and come up in amazing grace. Friend, you don't get amazing grace by baptismal waters, you get it from the blood of Jesus Christ. And music like that is confusing to Christians that don't know their Bible and have not been discipled properly. You say, good grief, railing against Christian music, what's your problem? You know my problem? I love people too much to give them false theology. I love God's word too much to allow people to make money off of the name of Jesus and purvey false doctrine when they do it. Love it too much. So, it grinds my gears. But, I digress. The church is a family. I don't know how I wound up there, but it was good. Romans chapter 12 says, we're to rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep because that's what family does. Final thought here this morning, the church is a place to belong. <coughs> Last springtime, I think it was, we, uh, we changed the tagline of our church. We never really had one before. It says, you belong here because we need a place to belong. And regardless of what your walk of life is, you can belong in Jesus' church. You can. You say, well, I didn't grow up in church. Great. Half the people in our church probably didn't grow up in church. Well, I didn't grow up in a good church. Great. I didn't necessarily grow up in a, a great church either. Well, my, my parents didn't teach me the things that I want to teach my kids. Great. You have the opportunity to learn. I was talking with a, a man several months ago, and we went and had lunch together, and he said, Pastor, I, I grew up in church my whole life. Uh, he said, I was around church, and he says, I've got two daughters, and they don't even know how to pray. And he goes, I know it's my fault. I said, great, fix it. He says, okay. He said, be in church every opportunity that you get. Put your girls in super church. And I said, I promise you, it will pay off if you are consistent. Again, you bring your, church, your kids to church and drop them off once every other month, nothing's gonna happen. But you be consistent and say, this is important. I promise you things will change. Same guy told me just a couple weeks ago. Pastor, when we go to bed every night and to hear my daughters pray at bedtime, he said, brings tears to my eyes. I said, you did it. You were committed to Jesus' church and it paid off. And so don't allow shame or your background or where you feel like you should be or things that you've done in the past to keep you from being in the place where you belong. Jesus' church, church is a place where everyone can belong. 
and you need a place to belong. Because friend, let me just tell you this, if you really wanna walk with Jesus, you're gonna feel very, very awkward in the world that we live in today. You know why? Because the things that you see taking place just don't jive with what the Bible says. The places that you wanna go isn't the places where everybody else wants to go. Hey, fellas, you decide you wanna be faithful to your wife, you wanna talk positively about her, you wanna keep a picture of your wife on your desk, and honor her and cherish her. Let me just tell you this, you're the weirdo in your office. And they're gonna use words like whipped and puppy dog and stuff like that. Fine, go on with that. You're on your sixth marriage. Please don't give me marital advice. Right? Last trip, you were unfaithful to your wife. Please don't tell me how marriage is supposed to be done. Hey, you're gonna be different, but that's okay because you have a place where you can belong. We, uh, took my daughter to uh, school shopping. She's 10 years old. You know how difficult it is to find 10-year-old girl shorts that are not booty shorts? You know, we ended up doing, this is crazy, and you're gonna think I'm crazy for saying it, and if I heard somebody else say this, I'd say you're crazy for doing it. We ended up buying her pants, like jeans, and cutting them off and making shorts out of them. Like, do we really have to, like, do I have to learn how to sew, for heaven's sakes, to get my daughter out of booty shorts? You're crazy. What a fuddy-duddy. Good grief. Cut off jeans. What's your problem? My problem is I'm trying to protect the heart of a 10-year-old girl who's going to grow up to be a young woman, and I don't want her to find her identity or her self-worth and how much skin she shows. Man, that's, that's just way overboard. Fine. Call it what you want. I just call it biblical Christianity. And I don't have to fit in with everybody else out in the world because I have a place where I can belong, a place where I fit in. Regardless of my background, my ethnicity, my cultural, uh, socioeconomic background, I fit in because I'm a part of Jesus's family. One of the things that I love is when people visit here while they're on vacation. They say, I felt at home here. You should feel at home because this is Jesus's church and we're all part of one big family here. Have you ever been to a church before where you felt like you didn't fit in? Wasn't that an awkward feeling? Like, I thought we were like all Christians, like my Why do I feel out of place? Why do I feel weird? Why do I feel awkward? That's the opposite of what Jesus' church is supposed to be. We want everybody that we know to be a part of this family. Take a look at verse number 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Not only did 3,000 people get saved and baptized in one day, every single day after that, people got saved and added to the church every day after that. You know why? Because they were just sharing what was going on in their life. They were just telling their neighbors about what they had found in Jesus. And I love it every single time when I ask somebody, hey, how did you hear about our church? They say, a neighbor invited me. I got a coworker that told me about your church. Sometimes people say, I have a friend on the mainland that used to attend this church, and they told me that I should totally go to church here. Love that. You know why? Because that's how the early church was. Hey, just come and see. Just check this out. I found a place where you can find what you're looking for. Really quickly, some thoughts on how to commit to Jesus' church. First of all, commit to faithful church attendance. Make a decision. If there's something at church, I'm gonna be there. That is the fastest way to grow, I promise you that. Sunday morning, Sunday night, we have a midweek Bible study on Wednesday nights. If you're a single adult, we have a Bible study on Friday night for you. Uh, starting this uh, Tuesday night, in Kaneohe, we're gonna have a windward Bible study that starts back up again this Tuesday night. And we got like five different opportunities to grow in the Word in one week. The more opportunity you have to be in church around God's people, the better off you'll be. 
And let me just tell you this, coming every other Sunday, I'm thankful that you're here, but you're not gonna see the type of growth that you wanna see. It's gonna take a commitment on your part, but I promise you, it's worth it. Commit to faithful church attendance. You'll be helped by that. Secondly, attend more than just Sunday mornings. I already, already said that. Again, if you attended every Sunday morning this year, you'll be here 52 times this year. If you attend Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, you're gonna hear 104 Bible messages in one year. If you came on Wednesday night when we talk about the Bible and study the Bible there too, that's an additional 52 times you're gonna hear the Bible. It's 150 times you'll hear the Bible taught every year. But if you attend every other Sunday, morning only, you'll get about 25 messages a year. Which person's gonna grow faster? The one who's heard the Bible 150 times or the one that's heard it 25? Math is simple. Who's gonna get more results this year? The guy that goes to the gym 150 times or the guy that goes 12? It's just math. And God promises this as well. Draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you. Take the first step. God will take, do the rest for you. I promise you that. But if you're seeking after God, he says, those who seek me with all their heart will find me. Next, if you've never been baptized, be baptized. Two weeks from today, we'll have a baptism service. We'll have a regular service over here. They'll head over to Alamona Beach Park. If you've never been baptized, this is your opportunity. We have a sign-up sheet on the back table for those that wanna be baptized. This is a way to say to everyone around that sees you the day that you get baptized, I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't care who knows it. I'm very proud of it as a matter of fact. And baptism is a way that you show your commitment to Christ. Next, join a connect group. Our connect groups are small groups that meet on Wednesday nights. Our groups generally have anywhere from eight to 10 people in it. We spend probably 40 minutes or so talking about our prayer requests and things we got on our heart and things that are going on in our lives. And then we break up for a time of prayer together. After that, we generally study the Bible for anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes. But the most important part is eyeball to eyeball time with people in our church. It's a great way to meet people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. And you see people on Sunday morning, you're like, oh, that guy's in my connect group, I remember that. Or, hey, how did that thing go at, at work that, I've been, that we were praying for on Wednesday night? Hey, did everything go through with, with that place you guys were looking to move into? Why? That happens in small group connections. And so I'd encourage you to be a part of that. Next, be a part of our community outreach. Every Saturday, 9.30, we go out to our community and pass out invitations Invite people to church. Try to strike up conversations to talk to people about Jesus. There's no experience necessary for this. Just show up. We'll partner you up with another person who will tell you exactly what you need to know. You say, well, I, I'm, I might be scared. Great, join the club. I think everybody that goes out is scared. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know what people are gonna say. But I can tell you that people come because someone invited them. Angela and I had the opportunity to invite somebody to church um, probably four months ago. She never came. It happens all the time. I invited probably 12 people this week to church, and none of them showed up today. That's okay. Funny thing is, though, right around Christmas time, she moved, and she got an invitation to church. Somebody just left it on her front door when she came home, and she said, hey, this is that church that that guy and that lady invited me to four months ago. And you know what she did? She came. How about that? Why? Because somebody left an invitation on her door. Allow God the opportunity to use you in that way. Next, get involved in our continued discipleship program. Uh, this kicks off in uh, the, the uh, end of, uh, middle of February is our next time. Again, sign up sheet on the back table for that if you need to be discipled. This is your opportunity to grow in your faith. Next, practice hospitality. Have people in your home, grab a, a meal with somebody. Hey, take somebody out for ice cream. You can get dollar ice cream cones at McDonald's. Hey, let's all meet at McDonald's and I'll buy ice cream for everybody. This is a great way to get to know people in your church family. 
Have somebody in your home. Take somebody out for lunch. Grab coffee with somebody throughout the week. This is part of being a part of a family. Next, become a church member. Church member are those who have been saved and baptized and are committed to the mission of our church. Mission of our church, you'll find it on the, our core values are on the front door. Love, pray, give, serve, invest. That's what we do. You say, Pastor, I want to do that. Great, sign up. Church members don't get any extra perks. Uh, there's not uh, like a special members room where we have like coffee and Krispy Kreme donuts on Sunday morning. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Members don't get any like special parking that we have for them. There's no parking pass for that. We don't have a member spa that's on the roof with a hot tub or anything like that. You know what members get to do? They get to serve. They get to work. Our members are the ones that are in the nursery today watching their kids for you while you're sitting here enjoying church without screaming kids. It's a blessing, right? Our members are the ones that are working with the kids over in Super Church. Our members are the ones that greeted you on the sidewalk this morning. Our members are the ones who will uh, receive the offering in a bit or help you find a seat today. That's what members do. They, they get involved. They jump in with both feet and say, hey, what needs to get done? I want to do it. That's what it means to be committed to Jesus' church. Next, be faithful in praying for your church family. One of the things that everyone can do is pray. If you need things to pray for, let me know. I've got a laundry list I could pass on to you. Wednesday night, we have a prayer sheet that we hand out in our, in our connect groups that talks about the prayer requests we have for the week. Hey, just do this this week. On your way out, find one person and say, hey, how can I pray for you this week? What's one thing that I can pray for you about this week? I'm telling you this, it will change your life by being faithful in prayers. Final thought, be faithful in your tithes and offerings. Be faithful in your giving. Our giving proves our heart. If you take a look at my uh, check register, we don't really keep a check register, let's say my online bank statement, how about that? Take a look at my online bank statement and you see Panda Express, Panda Express, Subway, Panda Express, Panda Express, Panda Express, Domino's, 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 Gas, Safeway, Domino's, 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 Panda Express, Panda Express, Verizon, Panda Express, Domino's, Subway. You'd say, I know it's important to this guy, right? This guy likes to eat, my word. And I do. You don't get my size by eating uh, kale salads every day. I promise you that. But if I take a look at your budget, hopefully you have one, first of all. But secondly, if I look at your budget, hopefully it identifies what's important to you. Again, if you have a $900 a month car payment and you give 10 bucks a month to Jesus, that sets your priorities automatically. And let me just tell you this, we can't do the work that God's called us to do without everybody doing their part in their giving. This is not a message on giving. And let me just tell you this, if you don't want to give, I don't want you to give. Because Jesus says he wants a cheerful giver. He wants people who are like, yeah, I love this place. This is my home. This is my family. I want to be a part. I want to get involved. I want to give. But your giving allows us to keep the lights on, allows us to have a place where we can centralize our operations and go out and get it done. This is what we do. So do your part. These are just 10 quick ways to be committed. If you want 100 more, I could give them to you. But here's the bottom line. You need Jesus' church in the year ahead. And the year after that, and the year after that, and the year after that. I need Jesus' church this year and every year after that because here's what's gonna happen. Some point in 2019, I'm gonna have a crummy day and you know what? I need somebody to call and I hope I can call you. And if you're having a crummy day, I want you to know you can call me. If you got a bulletin today in the front flap of the bulletin, every single week for five years is my cell phone number. That's not some central number that you call and send a voicemail. That's my number. You call me, text me. My email address is in there. You need anything, I'm there for you. Why? Because we're family. That's what it means to be a part of a church. 
And again, if you just attend here on Sunday morning, I'm thankful for you and I'm glad that you're here and I hope you'll continue to come. But I'm gonna ask every person here today, take it one step up this year. I don't know what your step up is that you need to take, but you probably do. I wanna take it one step up this year because this is important to me because it's important to Jesus. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home when you die, you need Jesus to save you from your sins. He's the only hope that you have. Please don't leave here today without stopping by and letting me know that you want to put your faith in, in Jesus. If you if you're even just want to know what that's about, we'll have somebody open the Bible and share with you how you can know for sure that heaven's your home when you die. But for those of us that have been saved, hey, we're part of a family now. Let's commit to it and see what God does in the year ahead.